When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We're talking about what we talked about on Monday with a bunch of offensive linemen and offensive line coach Justin Fry. But we'll get all to all that in a second. First of all, a couple things. Nathan, Ohio State number two in the first coaches poll. Georgia three. Ohio State got five first place votes. Georgia got six. Sounds about right to me. Anything that jumped out to you that was surprising? Well, not about that. I mean, the the top three went pretty much according to how you would expect. And and it's how I expect the AP poll will probably look in uh, August 15th when that comes out. So a week from today. Um, Surprising that Texas got a first place vote. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Coaches are weird. People but are stupid. You asked me no, if there's no anything surprising. No, that, that's surprising. And I, I, I'm a little surprised. Like I voted Penn State pretty high in my poll. I'm probably going to be an outlier for that. They didn't make the top 25 here. I was a little surprised by that, but obviously it's been up and down for them. So Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame. So by the way, at the moment in the coaches' poll, this is going to be a two-five matchup uh, to start the season for the Buckeyes. Ohio State. Uh, let's see if I can do math what, uh, 70 points behind Alabama and 22 points ahead of Georgia. So overall, 66 voters, Alabama, 54 first place votes, Ohio State five, Georgia six, Texas one. Uh, Steven, Ohio State, Georgia, I think is the discussion there. Did you think maybe, ah, I think maybe the Bulldogs will be two and Ohio State three. What did you think of Ohio State being two? I'm not shocked that they're two in the coaches poll. I think they might be three in the AP poll, though, just because I think mm. AP voters might give a little bit more respect to the fact that Georgia is the returning national champion in a way that, like, coaches vote poll doesn't necessarily do that all the time. But other than that, pretty spot on with the top five. And there's a pretty good gap between Georgia and Clemson between three and four. I think yeah. those three are are really situated. By the way, so, again, just going by the coaches poll, Ohio State, We'll play the numbers 5, 6, 14, 20. 14's Michigan State. 14 Michigan State. 20 is, is Wisconsin in the regular season. And then also um, Penn State and who and Iowa, who are both the, the top two yeah. that didn't get – that aren't ranked but are right there as far as getting votes, the top two among the also received votes. Yeah. Um, so not, not, a, not a bad schedule, man. Iowa 26, Penn State 27, so – half their schedule are teams that were ranked among the top 27 teams in the country, which is, which is pretty good. Let's talk about quickly the PFF version of an all big 10 team. Our guy, Anthony Tretch put that out. I think mostly, I don't know if they have other people do it. He's kind of their college guy. 
uh, Steven, first team, they did, he did three teams for all Big Ten. How many Buckeyes do you think were first team? And I wish this is where, this is the one thing. Nathan, that like when we so when I started the preseason poll, uh, some of the other conferences do have the 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 conference media vote for a a preseason all conference team. I didn't. I never did that when we did this. That's a that's a bit much of an ask, I think. And I feel like I don't know when people are like like, hey, yeah, I'll do the thing. All oh, right, who's the best guard in the in the conference? Like, I, I should we try to do that? I never felt. We didn't need. <laughs> yes, we. Uh, if anybody's going to do it, speak Cleveland.com doing it. No, me, Nathan. Just, means well, Nathan it's going to be as Nathan wanted to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, yeah, I, think, I, I, I'll I mean, listen are... to. I'll listen to the argument. I mean, I, I, if if we could, I would say if we can find a way to cleanly automate it. it it's worth a shot. I think the preseason honors works for players. You think the what? The preseason honors that Ohio, that big, the Big Ten does for players, I think that works fine for preseason because you do get into the weeds a little bit with offensive linemen. What the Big Ten does with like the no, five no, 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 person no. watch list? Just that. I think for just preseason, that's fine. Oh, I think that's awful. Get, I think it's – I, I mean, like ours. Yeah, I, yeah, as far as like a, a for a team poll, but I'm talking about just like a big all Big Ten, all conference team for a preseason. You're asking a bunch of people to, you know, vote for people like especially on the offensive line get into the weeds with like okay who's the first team guard who's the second team guard third team yeah. tackle in the preseason is hard to do that's what i'm just saying that the honors for the players in the preseason no, is and fun. what i am saying is what the big 10 does with there's five people to watch in each division is stupid and we do preseason offensive and defensive player of the year which is a thousand times better than their like participation trophy because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings so we, we do a version of it we do a version where like when we have offensive and defensive player of the year it is an indication of like well these are the best guys right because people are voting for that but obviously like offensive linemen just aren't going to get a lot of love in that so i don't know i i i don't know that the conferences that do it i don't know that it's particularly educated because it's just people are not sitting down and really, really thinking about it. Like it's just because you're doing it for free. I think with the conferences, you're doing it like with your credential application a lot of the times. And I just, it's a lot of whatever. So, all right, we're good not doing it. I mean, so anyway, but this is this then the, something like the PFF list or any magazine that does it matters more because there's not a conference thing in the Big Ten. Right. Steven, how many do you think were first team all Big Ten? I'm going to look at it so I know. So, oh, you did look at it? Oh, yeah, Nathan, how so. many do you think? Uh, I'm going to say seven. Six. Hmm. CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Trivion Henderson, offensive lot. Can I try yeah. to guess who? So, so those three are pretty obvious. So, right. Um, oh, who are the other been, three? Hmm. I'm actually probably way off. I should have guessed higher. I thought there might be more guys on defense. I'll say Dewan Jones. Correct. I will say Zach Harrison. Correct. That's fine. I need one more. I'll say Ronnie Hickman. No, Matthew Jones, which is um, kind of, again, this is the PFF version of doing this. There were three people who made second team. That includes Noah Ruggles. Nathan, who do you think the other Mm -hmm. two are? Hickman? Nope. No, interesting. Burke? Nope. Nope. I'm not sure interesting is the right word. Continue. Whippler. Whippler. Nope. 
Nah. Where this, li- interesting. this list <laughs> screams, we just looked at our PFF grades and then plug people yeah. in. So think yeah. about it like that, and you'll probably start guessing some of the guys. Well, uh, but it's not only that. One's kind of I obvious. guess it could be Paris Johnson. Yeah, Paris. Paris mm-hmm. is one. Yeah. And then PFF Darling. PFF Darling. The silence is not. It's Tyleek. So they oh, put okay. Tyleek on second team. So the second team. So first team is Stroud, Henderson, Smith, and Jigba. Dewan Jones, Matthew Jones, Zach Harrison. Second team is Paris Johnson, Tyleek Williams, Noah Ruggles. Third team is one, two, three, four, five, six guys on third team. You want to try to guess them? I already have. I just, yeah. it's the guys I've been naming yeah. that you didn't say yes to. So it's Luke Whippler and Marvin Harrison Jr. on offense. And on defense, it's Steel Chambers, Denzel Burke, Ronnie Hickman, and Tanner McAllister. And then the hmm. honorable mention guys are Mayan Williams, Tommy Eichenberg, and Emeka Egbuka. So they don't have JT or Jack Sawyer in there. And I don't know how, I guess there's better edge guys in the Big Ten than there are tackles, but JT played more snaps last year than Tyleek Williams. So like, I, whatever, I, it's your version of doing your thing. It's not right. So it's fine. I, I feel like their their rating should, and I got, I sound like I'm like trolling Tyleek here because I brought this up before, but like that rating should factor in the fact that yeah, he had five sacks and four of them were in the fourth quarter blowouts. Like, and JT Tumalawa was starting games. It's like like playing important snaps. So right. I don't. It's fine. I mean, they also had CJ on the All American list. CJ Stroud was the all, honorable mention quarterback, while Spencer Rattler, Kayla Williams, and Bryce Young were ahead of him. So, well, that's that's just continuing Anthony's. That's how he ranks those quarterbacks. Yeah. So, so. Um, I just don't. I don't because like some of it is, you know, Paris is second team at a position he's never played before. So I, I don't know that it's only rating, but like JT's not even honorable mention and like Mayan Williams is, I don't know. So it's fine. People can scream at their, at their phones and their radios and you probably should, but he did it right. It, like you tried. So it's an admirable effort to like, give it a shot. But again, as we always talk about with PFF, a little PFF, a little PFF is spicy. A medium amount of PFF can be still pretty tasty. Too much PFF would give you an upset tummy. So, which is fine, which also probably would apply to this podcast. So too much Buckeye talk will give you an upset tummy. So it's, it's fine. It's helpful. It's a guide. It's not the end all be all by any stretch, but again, we didn't do it. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll think about it. If we can come up with a good format next year to try to have people vote for it. Nathan, I don't, I think some people, I don't, it's not super fun for stuff to feel like homework in July when we're asking people sort of as a favor to vote in our poll. So that's part of it too. I don't know if our participation rate would go down if people were like, Oh my gosh, who's it's, the third best safety in the big Ten? You know, like, I don't know. It is already. I mean, I put that, I usually put the call out out a couple of weeks ahead of a, a, the deadline. And then that deadline is always artificial. It's more like a scare tactic. And then I can, you know, chase people after that. But there's still every year I had like two or three guys, people who are normal voters who said, oh, sorry, I was I was on vacation. I was out of the country. I was wrapped up with this. And it's it is a tough time to because camp is starting and things are getting going. And I don't know if we want to make it that much harder on people. Yeah, I think that's probably right. All right. Quick break. When we come back, we'll start talking about the offensive linemen for the Ohio State Buckeyes next on Buckeye Talk. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. We were texting. Oh, we were texting on Monday morning. 614-350-3315. Was looking, glancing through a couple texts. Somebody was mad that I'm too negative about the basketball team. So like you can express that kind of opinion. Um, and you can share it with us and we share information with you and then you can share it with us and then we can share back and then you can share it with us and say, Doug's too negative. So, um, take it all in. We take it all in. It's my favorite selling point. It's like, listen to us for free and then pay to come yell at us. Oh yeah. No, it's like a dunk tank. So (laughs) it is a dunk tank. It is. It's a virtual dunk tank. You can come in, you can come into the fair and walk around and like smell things for free. Actually, they can't come into the fair for free. They stay for 10 bucks. But you should be able to come into the fair for free. But if you want to throw things at us, it costs money. I think if we set up an actual dunk tank before Ohio State games this year and put you in that Mickey Mouse suit, oh yeah, we could cure cancer by the Big Ten Championship game. Yeah, or just pocket the cash ourselves. But also, I'll maybe cure cancer. Maybe. So yeah. I do think... Half and half, uh, 50-50. I would love... We should have a Buckeye Talk carnival. That like we I we're not I guess we're not we're not doing a live show. I'm a little ticked we're not doing a live show. We're doing a live show for the Browns. We're not doing one for Ohio State. So uh, that has been noted, and hopefully we can do one next year. We've done it once that uh, we've had a preseason live show that we did it in Columbus. I'd love to do it in Cleveland. Love to do it in Columbus. We're not doing it, but if we did it, I I mean if we could find a dunk tank, I would a thousand percent sit in a dunk tank. And if you sign up for the tech subscription, you can try to dunk me. Justin Fry, Nathan, you were at him a lot of the time. He's the coach. I know he coach speaks. We've got to penetrate it a little bit and try to figure out what he thinks of this offensive line. Give us the best lowdown on Justin Fry that you can give us, because this is a guy, as the replacement for Greg Studrawa, that a lot of Ohio State fans still maybe aren't experts on Justin Fry. He was a very, very good offensive lineman at Indiana. We have talked a lot about, we think he aspires to be a head coach. He's still pretty young. He's not yet 40, right? He's in his thirties. He came from UCLA where he had worked for Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly and Ryan Day are obviously very close. This is a guy that like, this is kind of a go get this guy kind of hire. So what do we think of Justin Fry and the way he talked about his line? Well, I pointed this out in a text, I think uh, last week, it might've been Friday from when I was watching the offense and just how hands-on he is. And all the players, to some extent, were asked about that today. I know you're asking what what Fry had to say, but just maybe the overall thing that struck me is that that relationship that's building there. Because there's a we we are assessing this offensive line in two levels, maybe more than we have in recent years. That there is this very established front line, and then this very uh, questionable second line. And a second line that's going to have to be important as early as next year. And how is all of that coming together? And right now, it just seems like one of the themes in that room, and you never know how personalities are going to mesh, and you never know for sure what people are going to actually say on the record, how truthful they're going to be about it. But there definitely does seem to be a connection here between his energy, his uh, approach, and the connection he's making with individual guys in that room. You know, Paris Johnson was talking about how, you know, he meets Justin Fry and he's already like giving him a 
plan of what he thinks the development he needs to make to be the left tackle Ohio State needs this year. That sort of thing that there it's it there's an appreciation for just how committed he seems to be to every guy in that room. Justin Fry is 38. Greg Studrawa is 57. And maybe it's because I'm old, but I'm there's a, a part of me that a little bit perks up of like, well, you know, do you have to be hands on? I know it's cool, but like, a, you know, an older coach who like you need energy. Kerry Combs is super hands on. He's as old as Greg Stradrawa. Um, So I don't I I am not I, I really am not at all saying I'm very I, like I, I would disagree with it. The idea of like younger and hands on more is automatically better. I, I don't think that's true. But every time a coach is out and a coach is in, you look for dis- differences and contrasts. Steven, like that that idea, though, how, and I think, you know, I'm not sure if maybe you brought it up or like kind of a Brian Hartline. Hey, Brian Hartline's in there with guys doing stuff, right? He's young. He can do this stuff. He played the position, which is also part of it, right? Justin Fry, man, he played the position at the high level. He's in there. He can do that kind of stuff. How much do you think that matters, Steven? That is a lot. It's, there's a visual learning component of it. To where, even if like Hartline's not his heyday anymore, so he's not going to do it at the same level that Jackson or Marvin or Emeka or Julian are going to be able to do it. But just being able to tell somebody how to do something and then show them how to do it, some people learn better that way. Especially, I mean, we're playing a sport here, so some people need that visual aspect of it. Where if somebody's not doing it right, you're not just screaming at them. No, it's not going the right way. You're screaming at them, but you're also showing them and teaching them along the way. And so, especially early in your career, when you're in those early development stages, that always helps. And then you also see it a lot in the summer when they're at these camps with these recruits, and that does correlate. And why Brian Hartline has been so successful at this so quickly is because he can show them how to do it outside of the fact that he actually played in the NFL. That stuff is great, but it's just being able to show a guy something when you're teaching it doesn't matter. And a lot of the guys pointed that out today. Yeah. I think the players appreciate the work too. Like when Fry came in today, he looked, I mean, he's still a big guy. Like he was an offensive lineman, but kind of like dragging a little bit. Like he had just been through practice, not as much as Dewan Jones, not as much as all those guys, but he looked a little haggard today. I think the players appreciate that when you go out and get a little sweaty. Luke Whippler said that he's typically in the cold tub with him afterward, as if he just went through the same practice they did. Yeah. So, you know who's pretty into it at practice? Larry Johnson, right? Larry Johnson gets after it at practice, doesn't he? Like, he's in it. And also, by the way, that's why you can have your your staff or your quality control guy, and you can say, well, here, you do. You show them the thing. I'm going to show you. Mm -hmm. You act it out. So, um, Nathan, you know what I'm saying here? I don't want to be like, hey, they should hire all coaches in their 30s. And that's the best right. way to do it. And if you if you're a little, you know, your joints ache a little bit, well, you can't be a college football coach anymore because you have to be able to go through a full two hour practice with your guys. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And I'm sure that there are plenty of coaches out there who are not as hands on, who still effectively coach very strong position groups. I'm sort of not saying that, but this definitely appears to be. It, it is it is a connection through Justin Fry's personality. Like it, it's not a. It, I don't think they think of it as an act. I think they think of this is how genuine he is. Um, he needs to get in there and kind of scrap it up a little bit in order to to make this connection with his players. That's just part of his, especially as he's getting this started. Like you know, setting a foundation here. This is this is part of transitioning his personality into the program. Because really, like Stud had back surgery last year. Yeah, right. He yeah. was out last year, but really. I, we, like, Greg Stadrawa wasn't dismissed because he couldn't coach 
or couldn't develop offensive linemen. It's mostly a recruiting thing. Is that not our view on that? And when you think about like, you know, like he kind of developed Dewan Jones and he kind of developed Thayer Munford and he kind of developed some pretty darn good players. They just weren't getting enough five-star recruits. So this is interesting to hear this. And again, it's part of the deal. You, you have, you have a strict coach or manager or whatever, and you, then you bring in a player's coach manager. Then that guy's too nice and you get rid of him. And then you bring in a disciplinary, whatever. We, we all know how that works. We've all, anyone who's followed sports knows how this works. So you look for contrast, but Nathan, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know that people watched Greg Stoudrawa the last several years and thought his coaching wasn't up to snuff. It was his recruiting that wasn't. I think the recruiting was the foundation of it with on top of that, then having a, would you say catastrophic failure of the offensive line in the Michigan game in a, in a number of ways? Um, so I think that was sort of the last straw of it. But I think you get to the important point, which is who cares how much Justin Fry is tugging guys around by the shoulder pads if they don't go out and block guys starting September 3rd. I think that's what's ultimately going to be the answer here. Yeah. Stephen, what do you think of that? Like, like as, as we evaluate, we end up talking about stud a lot here because it, you know, it was kind of like a changeover on the defensive side of the ball, but but that was the offensive change. And he was here for a long time and he was an Urban Meyer guy. But did we have a vibe that that there the, there was a coaching issue on the offensive line the last couple of years or, or not really? No, it's just that, I mean, the Michigan game happened and the switching up of the offensive line and having the four tackles. But I think it's just more, it's a different approach than what you're used to have the last six years. And if, you know, and because the other approach didn't work, we're putting a lot more emphasis on this style because we've seen it work at other positions. But if it had been a different way, well, let's say Brian Hartline used this approach that he uses now and the wide receiver sucked. And then they brought in a guy who wasn't so hands-on and didn't know, didn't show you it, but he could, he was technically able to, you know, walk you through it and stuff. We'd be saying, man, is this, you know, style yeah. work what Hartline was bringing to the table. So that's part of this. It's just new to them. And when, people ask questions of what's your impressions of Justin Fry. They're just giving the honest truth. It's just very different than what they're used to, whether it's better or worse. We're not going to find out until the Notre Dame game. In the meantime, it's just Ohio state got a new offensive line coach. Here's what he does. Here's what makes him different than what the last offensive line coach was. But my biggest uh, curiosity around Justin Fry is not recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't have a lot of questions about whether Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones and Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones and Luke Whipler are going to be coached up this year or be cohesive or use proper technique or mm-hmm. do their assignments. I, I sort of assume that's going to happen, but he did a really good job getting the three Ohio kids in this class. And then they got Miles Walker, who was a lower rated guy, but Justin Fry goes and needs to go bring in some top 100 offensive linemen who aren't from Ohio, which is you know, yeah, so, all we're finding out is like what he is as a coach. That doesn't mean that yeah. we've all come to the conclusion sitting here that he's a good coach. It just means, okay, this is how he interacts with his players. Okay, yeah. now go interact with some teenagers and get some more players in here, and then we'll have a better gauge of what you actually are or not. But but I am very interested in how he coaches up, again, that second level of guys, because there's going to be three, potentially three starting spots on this offensive line next year. No, so I agree. Th- there is there is a there is a gap that has to be bridged here. And that's what I was saying before about that dichotomy of like, here's these five guys and they are anointed right now. And if they as long as there's no alien abductions, these guys could just plow right on through to a national championship game. And then three of them might be gone. And then what do you got? 
because the rest of that we've talked about, it. I mean, the rest of that roster is really locked in next year, but maybe not so much the offensive front. So you're leading us to a guy that, that I know you're very eager to talk about because it is interesting, but we're not going to do it yet. We're going to talk about the starters first. We'll save it. It's interesting. There's like an interesting guy that is in an interesting spot and is somebody that all Ohio state fans need to be thinking about and watching and curious about this entire season. And we will get to him, but let's start with the guys who are going to start and let's start with Paris Johnson it's hard. We've now had 11 different conversations with Paris Johnson over the course of his life about, man, you played guard, but you're really a tackle. And so we all know that's the deal with him. Right. And he knows that's the deal. Um, what's the vibe? I think you guys were both at Paris, right. At various times, Nathan, like what, what was the most interesting thing that Paris Johnson said today? What's the vibe with Paris Johnson? You look, you look at the guy, right? And it's like, that looks very good. But wh- where is he? What's his headspace? Well, the most interesting thing I heard, I think, was the question Stephen asked that got Luke Whipler to say that he's lethal this year uh, in um, in space. Is that was, that was that was lethal in space? Yeah, the exact quote was, he's been awesome. It's been really cool to see how he's taken things he's learned at right guard and moving out to tackle. From a pass game standpoint, and he kind of mumbled on, but went, he's big, strong, and athletic. Him in st- space is lethal. Him in space is lethal. Uh, because, I mean, go back to the spring. That's what Kevin Wilson kind of laid down the gauntlet a little bit and said, you know, uh, this new guys, these two guys have to come out and prove that they are better in space on the edge than last year was in the games that they needed it, in the game that they needed it. And uh, it seems like Paris Johnson uh, has taken that to heart a little bit. Um, he is, it's interesting to talk to him, um, because someone who's just so supremely physically talented, uh, talking a lot about, you know, mindset and approach and being in the right headspace and going back to last year and how he had to be committed to guard, even though he couldn't be worried about wanting to actually be a tackle, had to be committed to guard. But then now this year after having, you know, COVID camp, for his freshman year after having, you know, last year having to learn guard a little bit on the, not completely on the fly, but still being a, a bit of a novice at it and knowing he had to start there. And then now he's finally in a bit of a comfort zone to the point where he can now feel excited about going to camp every day, coming out and attacking camp in a, a, a better way as an athlete every day. Uh, I, I think those that's probably kind of important to get him in, in the, the right place, for the, this team that's coming up in a few weeks that, as you said, number five in the country. I respect Steven. Like he, he was just saying a lot, sort of the thing people always say about like, be where your feet are kind of stuff. He didn't say that, but just, mm-hmm. he was like, if I'm a guard, then I'm only thinking about guard. Didn't he say something to you about if they could put me at free safety or whatever? Yeah. Like he, he seemed, he seemed, uh, he seemed like sincere about that. Of I understand maybe this was not, my preferred place. But once you tell me to go there, Steven, he was saying like, I'll snap if you want me to, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he did it. Yeah. Fun fact. When he first started playing football, he was a quarterback in the free safety. So imagine that picture for a guy that big, but yeah, it's, I think there was an element of it is it's just take the positive out of it. Everybody knows you're not comfortable being a guard. You've never been a guard. You've been a left tackle, literally outside of your first year playing football your entire life. And so you take from it what you can take from it. I think I even asked him, it's like, would that, was that better than just like being a left tackle, even if you knew you weren't going to be the starter? And it's like, yeah, it's because 
he did get valuable experience, even if it's at a different position, he's at least been out there now. And so you, you tackled that situation and now you get to go be a tackle with a guy who also has in-game experience and take whatever you can take from a right guard and apply it to now being on this island, especially in the run game. He wanted to play. He wanted to play. Yeah. He said, if they would have told me to snap, if I, like I, he, I think he said, like, it wouldn't have been, my, my snaps would have been very good, but then I would have yeah. grabbed somebody. You know, and, and he would have put his hands up. He said they could have put him at, at strong safety and he would have been backpedaling, looking for somebody to cover. That's obviously an exaggeration, but so, I, I I think he could have, he could have played a passable center. I'm sure. Paris Johnson has done a lot of sacrificing for the Ohio State football program since the moment he committed here, whether it was not reopening his commitment when Urban Meyer retired and allowing yep. Ryan Day the opportunity to get to know him while he was still committed, or it was playing right guard last year or even playing guard in 2020 because they needed people to do it because of COVID and stuff like that. He has done a lot of sacrificing. So it's like 2022, it finally pays off with him playing the position that everybody thought he was going to play anyway. So Dewan Jones, right tackle, will be the right tackle for second straight year. Obviously, again, we sort of, there's a thing we need to talk about. Also, I, I, I might retire at the end of this podcast. Probably not, but there was a moment today that I was like, I felt like, um, you know, the guy hitching his cart up to the horse as the, the Model T's were starting to drive by. It's like, what are we doing here? So, but uh, Dewan Jones, the Paris Johnson story is playing out of position. The Dewan Jones story is his weight, his weight, his weight, his weight. And he continues to lose weight. And again, you just watch a guy walking away. And I just, you look at Dewan Jones from the side, his profile, he looks good. Like sometimes, and there are plenty of linemen that just have that overlap, right? That's just as part of how your body is built and they, you need to have that core and you got a little bit of a belly. He, he, I feel like he's carrying his weight right now. Pretty darn well. He said, when I look in the mirror, I still look and think, oh, there's more weight I should lose. But he said, he's down to 364. He said, that's a number that Makai Becton, who was the number 11 pick in the 2020 NFL draft out of Louisville, someone that he, met on his visit to Louisville, Dewan said he's a comparison that everybody has always made. I asked a bunch of questions about Becton today and Dewan, it was the most I'd ever heard him talk about Becton that this was when he was coming out in the draft, it was the year that the Browns were going to draft a left tackle. And there were like a lot of really good tackles. There was Andrew Thomas from Georgia. There was Jedrick Wills from Alabama. There was Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa. There was Makai Becton out of Louisville. And Becton was just different because he's, he's huge and he's an incredible athlete. And like, that's the Dewan Jones thing. So then I was just talking to Dewan a little bit after that. And it's like, he was saying, again, is restating the thing. That's what stud, he said, that's what stud came and talked to me about. And, you know, he said, how many basketball players are six, eight? Dewan Jones was like, a lot of basketball players are six, eight. Like, how many offensive tackles are six, eight? Dewan Jones says, not many offensive tackles are six, eight. Like you can't, you can't make up. You can't add height to a guy. You can't add wingspan to a guy. This guy is is rare with that size. And I think he sees it, Nathan, like he sees. I'm not sure there's anything that, listen, is Dewan Jones going to be the 11th pick in the draft? Holy moly. That would be what an accomplishment, but I'm not like, you see what it looks like. It's a rare guy who was a great athlete who, who got down to business. And I just think NFL teams will look at Dewan Jones, the way he worked. He's still fairly new to the game. He's busted his butt every year he's been here. He's talked a lot about his sort of transition of starting to love football. But Nathan, you get a look at that guy. I just, he's not there. 
He he said, "I'd love to. I'd love to get into the three fifties, maybe the three forties. I I don't know that that would ever happen, but I feel like this three sixty four, Nathan. You can tell it. I yeah. think you can see it. He's saying more importantly, he's saying he can feel it. So if you're going to say, hey, if you thought Dewan Jones was pretty darn good as a first year starter last year, here are reasons he could be better this year. He just continues to get in better and better shape, and I think it's going to pay off. And I think he does too, right, Nathan? Yeah, and. I thought he looked good too today and I wouldn't say he looks skinny, but he looked trimmer to the point where I'm wondering if maybe the 10 pounds he says he lost was maybe, I mean like 10 pounds since when maybe not 10 pounds since the last time I saw him standing in a football. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I try to make connections in these in preseason camp back to the conversations we have with these guys in the spring sometimes. And back in the spring, especially at the start of the spring, you know, things were pretty still raw from the Michigan game and he was getting questions about, you know, how that experience sort of frames him going forward, frames his this coming year for him and the NFL draft feedback that he got that ultimately pushed him to stay at Ohio State for another year. And improvement was a, a big part of that. And I think that this weight transformation is part of that, because as much as he can play at that higher weight and probably still be effective for Ohio State, he said as much today, like not only does he already feel faster on the edge, faster at faster in pass pro. But he also said like for the next level, I have to get smaller. I have to, I had to lose that weight. I have to get faster because as you pointed out, Doug in college, a lot of teams you're playing might have one elite pass rusher in the NFL. They don't have, they can't afford for you to be a little bit slow on the edge as an offensive lineman. Like every team's going to have a couple guys that can burn you off the edge. So I think for him to truly be a prospect, he was going to have to get quicker on on being able to block uh, in, in past situations. Um, we know what he did last year against the run was pretty impressive. I don't think the weight losses here are going to inhibit him in any way there. In fact, if he's a little bit faster getting out faster, you know, he can get a little bit more head of steam on what is still a pretty huge uh, chunk of humanity. First of all, I mean, he's still bigger than everybody else in the world, so right. he'll right. be fine in the run game. I think right. the Michigan game was the best thing that's happened to him because he got to see what it really is like. Because even going up against Chase as a true freshman, you're a true freshman, going up against the number two pick in the NFL job, he's supposed to do that to you. But having David Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson do that to him in the past game like that, because a lot of those holding calls were him and false starts, those were him. So that's probably – that that this is a a, a prime result of what seeing what it looks like is and how it can impact the way you approach it off season. If that doesn't happen, maybe he doesn't lose this weight because you, I went up against the number two pick in the draft. who was a Heisman trophy finalist. And I, I went, I was fine, but he got dominated by both of those guys. And it, Another, in his mind, it meant I got to get slimmer because I got to be able to keep up with those guys or I can't play at the next level. And, and just real quick. Another thing he did bring up though, was that he felt he needed to lose weight for himself that, I mean, he's not going to play football forever, and uh, 375-plus pounds is killer on your knees. I don't care if you're 6'8 or not. So he felt like something had to come off of there, and he obviously later in his life, I'm sure he'll probably lose even more weight once he's done with football. But just things like that, like as a as a 21-year-old guy or however old he is, you have to kind of start thinking about the balance between what you need as a football player and what you need as somebody who wants to have grandkids someday. Yeah, it's hard. He's so long. 
I think when he, yeah. you can get into tendency of like reaching for guys instead of moving your feet. And if you're trying to reach Raiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo, you're either going to get a holding call or they're by you. So a lot, I think, you know, you're right, Steven learned a lot, just what, a, like what a great story it would be. And it's just, again, it's fascinating. Paris is like 315 and Dewan's like 364 and they're the two guys and they're going to do it in very, very different ways. But in their own ways, they are both just absolutely phenomenal athletes. And there's a, a huge upside for both of them there. And the thing, Stephen, and it's not, I didn't really think of it before interviews, but I, I'm not, maybe people asked about it. It's, it's hard. You don't want to get ahead of yourself too much. The threshold for Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson is, can you block Will Anderson? Mm-hmm. Like that, that is going to be, that is what this is building toward. Just like we thought for a while last year, the threshold for CJ Stroud and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Trayvon Henderson and Jackson Smith and Jigba was, can you do this against Georgia's defense? Right? You sort of look at things, you see a path. And again, we're looking through the Ohio State lens. Ohio State didn't get there, but had they gotten there, they would have had to find a way for their number one offense to deal with Georgia's number one defense, right? If you see the path, what's the Ohio State path look like? If it's a path to the national championship, you have to assume Bama is on that path, Stephen. And if Bama's on that path, then Ohio State has to block the best defensive player in the country. And we don't have to ask Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson about, about Will Anderson every week. But that's what this is about. That's what practicing in August is about. It is not about blocking Nick Herbig in the Wisconsin game. It's not about blocking Isaiah Foskey in the Notre Dame game. Of course it is, right? But I don't, I don't think those guys are going to stop Ohio State. There is a chance, like stop Ohio State in, in its tracks single-handedly. There is a chance that you could have the best quarterback, the best receiver, and the best running back in the country. And if you can't block Will Anderson, he could stop everybody in their tracks. And that's about Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. And that's the threshold here, Stephen. That's why they are doing this in August. It starts with him, but it's not just him. Like Dallas Turner might be right. just – it's like Alabama's got He's the best – be, between – yeah, it's like between them and Clemson, those are the best two D-lines in the country. And we got – Clemson still has a lot of answers to – to questions to answer other parts of their, their their team right now. If Ohio State and Alabama is the national championship game, that question of can, you know, Paris and Dewan block Dallas and Will Anderson might end up deciding the game because it's it's what might be the best defensive unit in the country and the best offensive unit in the country going at it. And whoever wins that is probably going to win the game. Yeah. I was going to bring up that the, 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 the Dallas Turner aspect of this because, um, you know, last year, George Karloftis first round pick, not that big of a problem. Boye Mafe first round pick, I think or early second round pick, not that much of a problem, but two guys. Well, I agree with what you're saying. I always thought Karloftis was overrated. Like Will Anderson and Aiden Hutchinson are different. Yeah, than those guys too. Correct, so you're, correct, you're right. Yes. Two is different than one. You can't help as much. All those things. Are right. Yes. So, but Will Anderson is. Will Anderson had different. Chase Young's Heisman Trophy final this year as a sophomore. His, he's just, he's just rare. Yes. And he's just even, yeah. 
as good as Aiden Hutchinson was, Will Anderson, I think, is a step above that. But they, they experienced it. Like, oh, you thought Hutchinson and Ojabo were a problem? Mm-hmm. And they were? Get ready for Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. And now the threshold is not winning the game. It's one of the national championship, and it's on you guys, right? It's the mm-hmm. SEC version of Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo, Stephen, and it's only going to happen at an even higher level of competition. And again, we don't have to make them talk about that for three months, but I know they're thinking about it. And I know Justin Fry's thinking about it. And I know we're thinking about it and we'll ask about it at least every now and then. I don't even have to ask about it. Every way they preference the answers when it comes to their tackles are what Kevin Wilson said in the spring told you what they're thinking about. Can those guys hold that without saying their names? That's who he was talking about. I also think it's interesting. Dallas Turner was a top 10 recruit in that 21 class. You know who was higher than him? JT and Jack. So if like they're on the same trajectory as that five star, then they might already be prepared anyway, because they have to go up against those two in practice every Tuesday. You know, this offensive line used to talk a lot about how they got prepared by going up against the best edge rushers in the country. And that really hasn't probably been the case the last couple of years. It would probably help them if that could be the case again, more, more, more true here in the next year or two. Mm -hmm. All right, let's dive inside. Luke Whippler, Steven, you talked to Whippler for a little bit. I did talk to Whippler. What's, what's the Luke Whippler vibe? I think the, first of all, he's really, really smart. It did it. Nathan, you texted out that uh, Justin Fry said he could be elite. Was he talking about him or was he talking about? So, yeah. So I had originally texted. I misheard the question. I thought they were talking about Donovan Jackson. When I hear, oh, elite number one, I'm like, oh, yeah, that okay. That follows with the question I thought was asked. And when I went back and listened to it, it was actually a question about Luke Whippler. Uh, Elite. He said Mm -hmm. elite, the best number one. He was asked, what could he be? And he just was like all of it. That's such a coach way to answer that question. But yeah, first of all, Luke Whipple is really smart. But I think the biggest takeaway I had from him is just like what we were talking about with Jack and, and JTB helped com- prepare the Paris and Dewan to face Will Anderson and Dallas. It's like, what is about this defense in total and some of the things that they're giving this offensive line? How is that better preparing this offensive line, especially in the run game where uh, Ohio State's known to have four man fronts? That's just what they have been, especially since Larry Johnson has been. That's what they do. They run four-man fronts, and that's fine. But the problem is then you run up against a team who does a three, who runs a 3-4 or a 3-3-5 or some version where it's only a three-man front, and you really only spend four days preparing for that. And that's a different way to block for that than it is for a four-man front, just like for a bear or any, any, any type of front you see has a different way that you're supposed to block it. And you spent 30 days of fall camp preparing for four-man fronts because that's what you saw every single day. And then Oregon came in here with three-man front. Penn State was doing it at times. Michigan has a four-man front, but it's more like three guys with their hand in the dirt. And then David Ajabo is a standing rusher. Utah had a three-man front. and so, But you're not used to seeing that type of stuff. And so it can mess up your run game. Coincidentally, because Jim Knowles has come in here with this 4-2-5 multiple defense where sometimes it's four men with their hands in the dirt, sometimes it's a three-man front, sometimes it's three guys with their hands in the dirt, plus that standing rusher, which is the Leo Jack. Because Jim Knowles is installing all this stuff, it's also, ironically enough, preparing this Ohio State offensive line to face everything, including a Notre Dame team who is going to come out the gate with a three-man front or an Alabama team where it is a three-man front, but then you know Will Anderson's a standing rusher, and there's going to be some other team. Michigan still has that three-man front with the standing usher, and so they're more prepared for other types of looks from a defense to where we should see an improvement in the run game because of that. 
And they also were second in power five teams in yards per carry last year. So again, it's like, it's, it's, it's I, I'm think it's those. Yeah. But then when you played Penn state and you played Oregon and you played Michigan and you played Utah, you struggled. Yes. I, the, the, this again, it's contrast, right? Their defense is more multiple than it used to be. You know, when their defense wasn't as multiple, I, I'm, I'm curious how this works it out. The things that you're saying, and obviously it's like what Whipler's saying is in camp is what matters. Cause once you get the scout team, the week of the scout teams running what the other team's defense does, so you're getting ready mm-hmm. for it, but you have a whole month where you are uh, facing that kind of thing. So I do think in the modern age, um, multiple is better than stagnant, but Ohio state for so long was really good. Just, doing what they did and so um i'll I'll be i'll be curious it's just one of these things i'm just i'm cynical a little bit about the new thing is always better than the old thing which is what everybody says and we listen to what they say nathan and that's how it works and that's how sports works and no one says the new thing's not as good as the old thing i think the new thing definitively is better for the defense this is an interesting way to think about it of how it affects the offense but i'll be curious how that actually like manifests itself nathan you know what i mean like i'm 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 curious what this actually means yeah i i think just anything that challenges you makes you better so i mean just as much as it's it, it is something i guess new that they're going to see but i I think that the the work that the offensive line does on its own is probably going to end up being the most impactful so it was what it was five point Five four last year is what they average yards per carry. Yeah, against Oregon four point one one, against Penn State five point two, against Michigan two point one, and then against uh, Utah in the Rose Bowl five point five. I wrote about this a few weeks ago too. There are some other there's some other metrics deeper than that uh, as far as what they were doing in short yarded situations and stuff. So yeah, um, it it's it wasn't it, there were some uh, big explosions in certain games that that inflate what the running game did as a whole. Yeah. Okay. Let's do the guards. Were you guys at Donovan Jackson at all? I was not there, but I've listened to the whole Donovan Jackson experience. I was there for a little bit. He is a a very charismatic young man. Yep. And also had uh, the quote of the day because Tim may was asking him about, Hey, you're from Texas. You know, I'm sure you can handle this heat. No problem. And, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm used to 105, you know, if it's hot here, it's like, I'm like, I'm fine. But he said, but I am a heavy sweater. So like, he still um, sweats a lot. Like he's handling the heat, but he still sweats a lot. And again, it was just like, same, right. Oh, you know, it's too bad. They moved him over to the left side. He could get a great right uh, guard endorsement. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. Look at how, look at that. They're just taking money right out of the kid's pocket, moving him over to the left side and then making him more money down the line. Could, I was trying to think like, could we name, you know how most radio station call numbers, letters, right? When it's like, it either starts with a K or a W. I think that's like the rule for radio stations. Yeah, it's like K west to the Mississippi and W to the right. Yeah. Could we, could we do something with this offensive line where it's like WJJJJ? Like, like, uh, you know, because it's a W and four J's. It's a little. Also, people don't know what a radio is anymore. So maybe that would hurt that. But um, it's like, hey, guys, can we do a photo shoot 
where you guys are all pretending that you're disc jockeys at a radio station and the radio station is WJJJJ. You don't think they'll do that? Do we think we miss our window to do that? It's like a WKRP kind of thing. Well, for, first of all, they don't have five letters. They only have four. I know. <sighs> Just like the workshop stuff. All right. So Donovan Jackson, he's a very was- charismatic young man. Um, like seems ready for the moment in every possible way. Just enjoyed being there for the time I was there with him. I was trying to ask him like what he likes to eat for a snack. He likes Reese's peanut butter cups, also same. So, and I was just checking with him. Mom's side from Cincinnati. Dad's from Cleveland. Dad moved around for his job. Um, so peanut butter cups, sweats a lot. I really was relating to Donovan Jackson. What did you think of what you heard when you listened back, Nathan? Well, I, it, I was also thinking about this trend that we've had at Ohio State where second-year guys get their chance to start right away or at the start of the second year. You know, Harry Miller did it in 2020 at left guard, but not his usual position. And then uh, a year later, Luke Whipler gets that chance because Miller gets um, hurt and has other issues. And also Paris Johnson getting that chance to start, but not at his normal position. He's out of position last year as a second-year guy. And so Jackson is like the first one of this recent cluster that is both like the five-star elite guy and getting to play like his Hmm. preferred place. It's he's in a, maybe a unique position of these four guys who recently have had this opportunity because all of those guys had either like Whipler. You wondered if he was being pushed a little bit beyond what he was ready maybe to do. It turns out pretty, pretty well. He did pretty well last year and Miller and Johnson. I thought you both at times saw that they were playing out of position a little bit. And Jackson has an opportunity to come in and, and just have a bit of a, a smoother runway into being a starter on this offensive line. Luke Whipler found out he was a starter a week before the Minnesota. Yeah. No, maybe 16 days before the Minnesota game. And then four days later, he found out he wasn't the starter because I'm assuming Harry Miller was back. And then he found out he was a starter and then he found out he wasn't the starter. And then he found out he was a starter four days before the game. But to your, I think, Donovan Jackson is the first of the top 100 guys to be a starter in year two. That feels like it was planned because Harry Miller wasn't supposed to be the starter in 2020. That's supposed to be Matthew Jones's job. He just didn't win the job. And then once again, in 2021, we thought that it was going to be, you know, uh, Matthew Jones was going to have one of those guard spots and he didn't win the job. So this time around, he's won the job, but then also there is an open left guard spot for Donovan Jackson to walk into. I don't know. I I think I I would definitely say that I guess there was an opening for Matt Jones to win those jobs in 2020 and 21. But I don't remember being shocked that the five-star Harry Miller and the five-star Paris Johnson won those jobs. I mean, you could not be shocked. And that they basically showed up in the fall and already had those jobs. Yeah, but also Matthew Jones was a top 100 recruit who didn't win a job until his fifth year. So it's like it can go both ways. It's like, right. I guess I'm saying, I mean, but but it, I don't think we should characterize it that like I remember both Miller and Johnson having those jobs at the start of the fall. They weren't competing to beat Matt Jones for those jobs from what I remember. No, Dewan Jones took Matthew Jones's job on the shuffle. It was yeah, Paris was locked yeah. in. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Matthew Jones then, because, again, it isn't it is an interesting tale. And. I was asking Matthew Jones a bunch of questions about this. Again, he's a top 100 recruit in the class of 2018. 
This is his fifth year. He played, he has started before, but he has never been a full-time starter. And here he is in year five and he's lined up to do that. Now, a year ago at this time, we thought he was lined up to do that also. And then they shuffled. We'll have to look at the date, the date of the Dewan shuffle. I don't remember what it was. It feels like it was a little bit later than this, maybe like next week. But I just think it's, you gotta, you gotta give props to a guy who waited until year five now seems in line to start was a very helpful player last year, did what they asked him filled in at a starter quality. Um, and now he said, never considered transferring. And he said last year, like when he didn't win the job, when he, when he kind of got pushed aside, he said he went into Greg's to draw office and said, what do I need to do to get better? And that's how he handled that. And so in a world where transferring and it's, and again, I, I keep saying what I don't want to do. And then I do it. Transferring is great. If it's right for you and you can go find a place that fits you better or that you can play or whatever fits your life or your mental health or your family, whatever. That's why we have these transfer rules now where players have the freedom to do that. So sometimes I think we can couch players who stay as like, Oh, well they stuck it out and whatever. And like, Oh, he didn't just leave at the first sign of adversity. That's not what I'm saying because Lots of times the answer is to leave. But this guy was a super talented guy, top 100 recruit, who has had to fight, Nathan. Fight, fight, fight. Every year he's fighting, 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 and not winning. And then he came back and he fought again, and he didn't win again. And he kept fighting. And now it feels like he's going to win. And he said, I'm proud of myself. And it almost like it gets you a little bit. Here's a young man who's proud that here in year five, he did it. That he said, you know, it's ups and downs, man. He's had some, I'm sure he's had some tough days in the first four years. And here he is now, like, good luck to that guy, Nathan. It's, it's, it doesn't mean that somebody who would have left gave up, but you give a nod to a guy who never stopped fighting. And now here he is. And along the way, while he was fighting, helped the team by doing whatever they asked him to do. So first of all, it was August 11th last year was when we first wrote about seeing that new configuration in practice. That was on a Tuesday. Um, And the rumors had been out there, I think kind of over that weekend leading into that game that word had kind of filtered out. They were tinkering with that. But camp also started a little bit earlier last year because they were opening on a Thursday instead of a Saturday. So, but yeah, we're getting close to that point where, where this happened last year. And I, I, I try to bring that, keep that in mind when we are doing these projections three, four years into the future that sometimes we, because Matthew Jones is a guy that I think sometimes even we, you just kind of look right past him. We've talked about this before, right? That sometimes when a guy's been here and he's going into his third year and he hasn't blown up, you start to look for that next young guy that's coming up. Even when a guy's top 100, top 80 type prospect, and clearly was here for a reason. And it, it can be easy to just assume that, well, they didn't make it now. <laughs> now this guy, the five star is going to come up and just take it, or even the, the other top 100 guy or whatever. And he's one of the better examples of, of where that perseverance does pay off. Sometimes there's a reason why the, why they didn't, and, and they do fall off, 
but then you can look at other guys and even sometimes guys who weren't even ranked as high as Matt Jones. Um, and Matt, offensive line is probably the best offensive and defensive line are the two best positions for that to come true. Right. And whether it was Davon Hamilton a few years ago, whether it was Brandon yeah. Bowen, whether like that's the place where your perseverance, I think sometimes probably just from a physical development standpoint can really ultimately pay off. So good luck to Matthew Jones. All right. We're dying to talk about backup offensive linemen because that's just the kind of <laughs> podcast we are. And we'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, let's reveal first my retirement moment that I'm probably going to be here tomorrow. But Josh Fryer came out to talk. There were not many people over there when he started talking. I was one of them. And what unfolded was... Donovan Jackson, Tyler Friday, Mike Hall, Javante Jean-Baptiste, JT Tuimaloao, and Zach Harrison interviewing offensive lineman Josh Fryer. For I filmed it for three minutes. You can go watch it on the Cleveland.com YouTube channel. And then I left, and it was kind of Spencer Holbrook from uh, Letterman Row got in and actually started like doing his job. I was just standing there watching it happen. And it was one of those things, guys, where – the players, it was it was pretty funny. It wasn't like hilarious, but it was it was very, very amusing. And they were very into it. And the guys who were asking the questions were like, ask a question and then be like, oh, that was a great question. Oh, great question. And all of their questions were both the exact kind of questions that we actually ask about of players all the time. And they were doing it simultaneously in a serious way. And also in a way that mocked our very existence. And they like someone asked a question about like, oh, Josh, uh, looks like you cut your hair. What does that symbolize that you cut your hair? Like, what does that mean to you that you just, and it was like, nope, I've def- I've asked, I've asked haircut questions. And then it was like, there were adversity questions. And so Steven, I, we know that Paris Johnson is a journalism major, but when five defensive linemen and an offensive lineman can just sit down and be like, no, yeah, we can do this. What, what is this? This is nothing. It's like, why are we, I we just tell Jerry, we don't need to come anymore. Have the players interview each other and then send us the sound because Zach Harrison, who also is very good at football was as good as at, was as good at my job as I am at my job. So why am I here? Zach Harrison told me over the summer that he's going to start a podcast. So, yeah, I think you promoted that. Don't be promoting that stuff, man. You're trying to you're trying to put us out of business. We have to pretend that there's no other options for these listeners. We can't inform them that that players are having podcasts. There'll be no one left to listen to us. Yeah, I, the more important part of that conversation over the summer was me going or or. If you just come on our podcast, say what you need to say, and then move on with your life. Where is he? And he was like, nah, I think I'm going to start my own podcast. I was like, okay, okay. I tried. Oh, but great. yeah, uh, Talik Williams and Mike Hall were doing that to Jack Sawyer in the spring. I doubt this will be the last. It's going to be really interesting when we get the D-line, because I feel like they're all going to do it to each other. So we're not just going to have to be fighting each other to get questions into the D-line. We might have to be fighting off D-linemen. And we're all going to lose half battle if we're fighting them, because they're bigger than us. Because it's like, hey, guys, do you want to maybe stop goofing around and not ask anybody questions about overcoming adversity? And they'd be like, oh, sorry, go ahead. And then I would be like, yes, I would like to ask you about overcoming adversity. It's like it's like I can't you can't win. Nathan, 
I'm what I mean, it's it. I'm 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 done. I have nothing left to offer. I got over to Fryer after those guys had uh, finished their portion of the press conference. Um, So I'm going to have to go back and listen or watch that. But it was it does make you wonder, like. Should we be coming up with some new questions if they're this easy to predict? I thought you were going to say, does it mean that we should be put out on an ice flow and pushed out into the sea? Yes, probably does mean that. So anyway, shout out to, to all those guys for doing that. It, it, it was it was very music. And like it was also informative. I'm pretty sure I'm going to use a quote. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to use a quote. It's like. Uh, no, that actually that was a good question that Zach Harrison asked Josh Fryer. He gave a good he gave a good answer to it. So, all right. So Josh Fryer, like he's in the mix. I don't actually I can't remember. I was just filming video of them doing that. Did you learn anything from Josh Fryer, Nathan? I actually wasn't paying attention, other than than thinking about my own mortality and my my impending layoff. It it was interesting. He brought up Matt Jones as sort of his goal of what he would hope maybe his 2022 could look like. So maybe he could be the the sixth man, the utility Mm. guy on this offensive line. I don't know if he is quite at the level. It felt like with Matt Jones, I I would imagine he still has a little bit to prove to be considered at the same level that Matt Jones was last year. Because there's never been a point where we thought that Josh Fryer was really like competing for a starting job, where Stephen pointed out, at least Matt Jones was like, in the mix in a, in a larger way, going back into some Springs and stuff. So I don't know if Josh Pryor is quite there yet, but I think he, by watching Matt Jones last year, I think he saw, and everybody probably in that room probably saw a way that you can be a contributor, even if you don't get one of those coveted jobs. I was asking Fryer uh, some questions about some other players too, but that was maybe the one thing that stuck out to me was that they now see Matt Jones as a little bit of an example if the consequences line up. They were also yeah, purposely rotating last year, which I think some of that is Thera Munford's old and has an injury history. And I think Paris was a little banged up. So it was a combination of they want Matthew Jones on the field, but then also the circumstances call for it. Uh, Matthew Jones doesn't have an injury history. Donovan Jackson's 12. And this just seems like their best five. So I don't, this doesn't, I'd be kind of shocked if we get to a game and they're rotating offensive linemen. So I, I think the circumstance made that more of a thing last year than not being standard. Yeah. And you also had a guy in Matt Jones who had been in a fight for a starting job for the previous right. two yeah. years and didn't win it. And as you said, Nathan, like Josh Fryer is not, no one thinks Josh Fryer is fighting for a starting job right now. So it is a different thing. Um, I, we talked to the five starters, Justin Fry, and then Enoch Vamahi, Josh Fryer, and Zen Machalski. Is that it? We got eight total players. I think that's right. Sounds I don't think it's right. Anybody else came out? I didn't get to Enoch. Anybody get to Enoch? I didn't get over there either. I still have some interviews about um, Enoch Vamahi from like 2019. Oh, can't wait. Never turned into a feature. (laughs) Um, It's actually an interesting feature, potentially like a human interest thing about his um, choosing not to go on his Mormon mission to stay at Ohio State and how that paid off. But I would obviously need to do some updated interviews to to make that story come together. Do you think the phrase? Vamahi said three years ago will appear in that story. <laughs> I don't think it will. It's more about it, I have very few interviews with him. It was more I talked to his mom. I was trying to go hold his brother who was going to be playing football somewhere, but then maybe he, he did go on his mission at Utah. Yeah, there's a couple brothers in the mix and they've all had that same decision to make. So there's an interesting story there. Just a matter of someone um, 
either sitting down and doing some interviews or maybe getting a time machine together and going back and doing it when I should have. All right. So then let's talk about Zen Machalski, which is the guy that Nathan wanted to lead off the pod with, because it is interesting. And we had talked about Zen Machalski in recent podcasts when we talked about the future of the offensive line. And it feels like he sort of has emerged, Nathan, as the great tackle hope for Ohio State's future. And he basically said he has had a version of that conversation with Justin Fry and Ryan Day as it relates to 2023. Yeah, and I I, um, I should go back and say with Fryer, I think Fryer said also right now he is repping mostly a tackle. I know he's played both. So I think that's an important thing to, to know that he'd be the second guy in that mix, which we've seen with the way that they've lined up in practice anyway. But Michalski, I wanted to see this preseason who is making progress on schedule. I don't think Zemichalski has to be starter level this year as a second-year guy who was probably a more developmental prospect. But I think you needed to see someone on that offensive line from that developmental group start to move in the right direction. And uh, Stephen, I think you were the one who actually heard him talk about the the Ryan Day, Justin Fry meeting. Um, I was just from the other people who actually who I did ask about Machowski. Um, Fryer was talking about how much more mature he seems this year. The way he's approaching meetings seems to have kind of turned a corner in like a more serious way, asking the right kind of questions that really pertain to him and the job that he has to do. Dewan Jones was talking about how he is envious of how well Machowski can use his hands, which whenever guys come in and are like six, eight, and again, have that sort of like developmental tag put on them. You understand, okay, six, eight, he has to play tackle, sheer strength, whatever. But to hear that, like some of the technique is really coming through, I think is important. Um, Steven, you can maybe go into to what the, the story he told about the meeting with Ryan day. Yeah. His exit meeting. In the spring, which every player gets with your position coach and the head coach, was you have an opportunity here this offseason to set yourself up to be in a real battle to be the starter in 2023. Because there is a scenario here where Paris is everything people thought he was as a recruit and Dewan Jones is gone. So you need to fill, refill those two tackles positions. And Zen heard that loud and clear. And it's clear that he's starting to take advantage of that. Ohio State's had one, two, three, four, five, five guys that you would maybe classify as developmental projects on the offensive line since Ryan Day took over. So far, Dewan Jones, obvious hit, and Zinn Machowski is putting himself in a position to be that second hit as a guy who was ranked in the 300s, more of a later addition to that 2021 recruiting class because he went from a guy who was right, who was like 215 pounds to 285 pounds in basically eight months and turned himself into a high-end prospect instead of a guy who was headed to uh, Louisville, I believe. And so he's putting himself in the position to be the second um, feel-good story amongst that group of like developmental guys that Ohio State loves to bring in. And they they just brought in way too many of them in comparison to the, you know, home run hits so far. And he's... Ohio State might bring in a a transfer over the top of him or whatever next year. I don't know. But again, I think it's more about which guys are actually on the path that they need to be on. 
And he's opposite of Dewan Jones. As you said, Stephen, he's an ad weight guy. So he's yep. trying to get up. Dewan's trying to come down. He's he not there. Was, he's not. No, there he's yet. not. Well, you you he's, look at his. Well, I don't even care what is. Yeah, physically, he doesn't is. look the point. No, he said that he was up to, I think, 315 in the summer. But it's, it's not so much him adding weight. It's adding good weight. Yeah. And he's he doesn't actually struggle with putting on the weight. It's just making sure it's like that's the thing with Dewan Jones. He lost a lot of weight, but he kept all that good weight, which is why 364 is not a big deal for him. While with Zim Michalski, if he's 310 right now, how much of that is good weight where he could actually play right now? Which is why, as you're going to say, physically, he doesn't look like he's ready to be a starting offensive tackle. Yeah, I think it's just uh, if I were an Ohio State fan, I take it as a positive sign that he has been the, the number two left tackle this preseason as opposed to. Enoch Vamahi or Josh Fryer. And it's nothing against the players that the, either of those guys are, but you don't see them developing into a first string Big Ten left tackle in like any way, probably. But you could see it with Machowski. I think, as you're saying, there's still a ways to go to make that jump, but either those guys would still seem a little bit pushed or a lot pushed in some ways to try to be that at the level that Ohio State would expect it from as a left tackle. They could still be offensive line starters next year, I think, and be good ones if they had to be. But th- they needed to see someone making the left tackle progress. The positive with him is he's in year two and he's doing this. He knocks year yep. four, Josh Fry's year three. So, it, right. you, you know, there's st- the, the ceiling is still very far away from Z- for Zen in a way that it's not for those other two. But you talk, he, both he and Paris Johnson's use 315 as their number. Yeah. For the weight right now, if you stood Zen Machalski next to Paris Johnson right now, it would be, it's not the same nope. thing. They're not which, wearing it the same way at all. No. Which, which again, it, this, if, if maybe, you know, Dewan Jones has been an interesting body transformation. You know, we wrote a million stories about Nicholas Petit Frere back in the day trying to put on weight. We've been very eager, you know, the G Scott transformation, body transformation from receiver to tight end. He certainly, as we said, looks more filled out, looks more like a tight end now. I think this might be, Number one on the list of body transformation, what what Zen Machalski looks like now. And when we interview him a year from now in August, uh, how much, I mean, he's obviously it's going to be, but it seems like the whole point is he knows it. They know it. They spelled it out. He sees it. Go get it, Nathan. Right. Like go, go get it for yourself. Because again, as we've said, sometimes it's not there for you. Like it sort of wouldn't matter what you did. Like there's just five stars in your way. It's there, but he's, he has to get after it for the next year. But he seems here in mid August, 2022, very eager to take on that mantle, to take on that opportunity and great, great for him. So it's go time. Yeah. And again, I think it's the left tackle thing that makes important because they could go to Enoch Vamahi and, Josh Fryer and say the same thing. I mean, those guys could be next year's version of, of Matt Jones to some extent, I guess, especially Bamahu was a, a top 100 prospect too, I think, or, or top 150, something like that. So, I mean, a guy who could stick around a long time and still finally make that big impact next year, but like having to get that cornerstone on the offensive line ready is, I feel like just such a crucial part of this off season. And, and it's going to follow really this season all through the year, I, all through this season. I'd, I, I'd be curious to see how many glimpses we get of Michalski as the season goes along in game situations and how he looks. Yeah, I I would think, I mean, we'll see him in the blowouts, right? So if he's a second team tackle, 
So we'll see him potentially against Arkansas State or Toledo or Rutgers in games like that. Again, just looking at him, and it's normal. I don't think he's ready to be on the field in a competitive Big Ten game against a first-string Big Ten defense. But go get it. Go get it. Because there's a lot of guys who have been here over the years who tried to go get it and get ready for year three. And when they got to year three, there was you know a future first-round draft pick standing in their position. And that's not where he is right now. So they need him. They need him. But it's interesting to hear a player relate the story of coaches spelling it out to him. So good luck to Zen Machalski. All right. That'll wrap it up. We get who are we getting on Tuesday to talk linebackers. to linebackers. linebackers. So we talked to a coach and eight players on Monday. I would imagine it'll be close to eight. I mean, you can go through when we, when you watch practice, there is a very clear first team, second team, third team at the three linebacker spots. So there's nine guys they could give us. And, and I would maybe imagine we'll get all nine of them and all of us will be around CJ Hicks. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm a little skeptical that we get him. Uh, we got Donovan Jackson last year as a two freshman five-star, but that's offensive line. I think the hype around CJ grows and grows a little bit more every single day. And I'm wondering if they want to just be like, yeah. Maybe. Like I mean, Jackson was a summer. Jackson was a summer enrollee too, so he was like very fresh that we were getting right. him. Yeah, uh, that's part of it. It's like we did this a little bit. Yeah, so I, I don't. I I'd be personally surprised, but I, I won't be shocked if they decide to not give us the five star freshman that they know is going to have everybody's eyes. Usually, that stuff is up to the position coach. So we'll see what Knowles is philosophy is on giving I mean, us those yeah. guys well Knowles is not trying to do the media any favor so <laughs> well but I also Jim Knowles I think Jim Knowles could be like talking who cares let him talk what's talking yeah. do it's just words yeah, let him so, go out there and say something I don't like so then I can yell at him about it later yeah. and use it as motivation if I can't trust him to talk how can I trust him to play fuck I talk Jim Knowles that is exactly uh, something a coach would say yeah so that's the plan we'll do that We'll have the texts flying at you on Tuesday. We'll have a pod on Wednesday discussing what we learned and talked with the linebackers about. And then again, the bus is coming. That'll be the plan for the Thursday pod, who you're driving the bus for in this Ohio State football season. So make sure you guys are reading cleveland.com slash OSU. We'd love to have you on the text. We'd love to have you subscribed to the pod for Stephen Means, for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.